0: All right, we are uh, back in Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 1. We're going to be looking at verse 18, but we're going to be looking at like the first this much of verse 18. Um, I'll be reading and teaching primarily from the Christian Standard Bible today, and we've been studying the kingdom of God, and we're using the book of Ephesians following the Apostle Paul through his letter to the church in Ephesus as our backdrop. We're in the first section of this study on the kingdom of God. There's going to be three sections of it, as we see uh, in the book of Ephesians. And the first section, which we're still in, is called Kingdom Kids. And we've seen so far that God's plan is to adopt us as his own kids. This is what we've been learning as we've been studying Ephesians chapter 1. We've seen that God has chosen us in Christ. He's chosen us to be his children, that he's done everything necessary to bring us to himself. He sent his own son, his perfect and sinless son, Jesus, to die a death that we deserve to die in our sin. And then he chose us before the foundation of the world to be saved and to be made holy in Christ through that finished work that his son Jesus did on the cross. And then God adopted us into his family through Christ, and he's brought us near in his son as well. Uh, He's forgiven us of our rebellion. He's forgiven us of our foolishness. He set us free from the things that we naturally fall into. He set us free from discouragement, from sin, from deception. We now have truth and light and can walk in the light. And he's blessed us, as the Apostle Paul says. I love just this sweeping statement he makes in Ephesians 1. He says that He's blessed us with every spiritual blessing. In Christ, we are no longer slaves to sin. In Christ, we are no longer addicts or orphans. We're no longer controlled by fear. We're no longer controlled by shame. We're no longer helpless or hopeless or worthless. God is now our Father, and He has taken us in. He has adopted us, we've been learning. He's given us a new name. Your new name in Christ is son or daughter of God. Paul spends 14 verses excitingly, excitedly, systematically laying all of this out, and then he prays. And Dom got into this prayer starting last week. Last week we saw the Apostle Paul pray for the Christians in Ephesus. He's praying for the church, mind you that they would know God, which is kind of sounds at first like a funny prayer for a church, right? I pray that the church would know God. Well, I hope the church knows God, but what Paul was praying for wasn't just to know about God or to know uh, who God is or to know the benefits of God. Paul was praying for specifically, the Greek word is epinosis, that they might truly know in an intimate, personal, relational way praying that they would give themselves to not just understanding who God is, but participating in a relationship with God. And it's in this context in which we find our passage today. Paul is still praying for the church. He's praying for Christians. And he's praying for the church that he had pastored for three years. He had planted this church, pastored it for three years. He knows these people. He probably led many of them in the Lord and and helped them grow in their spiritual walk. He knows about the good things that they're up to in Ephesus. Paul probably helped them start these good things back when he was a pastor at this church. He's heard about their generosity with local and global works that they're doing and giving and sending people. Paul knows their strengths. He knows their weaknesses. He knows their needs. Remember, he's praying for Christians. He's praying for people who probably aren't afraid of their faith. He's praying for a church that sounds a little bit like Reality Ventura. He's praying for people who participate in good Christian things for busy parents, moms, dads, men, women, young adults. The Holy Spirit inspired this prayer to be recorded in this letter by the Apostle Paul to the church in Ephesus about 1,957 years ago. Friends, the Spirit is praying the same prayer, would have us engage uh, in the same prayer over Reality Ventura today. And today we're invited in. We're invited into this ancient work, this ancient move of the Holy Spirit, as we submit ourselves, our lives, our family, this church, uh, to the same Holy Spirit who is moving today in Ventura, California, in the same way that Paul was hoping and longing for the Spirit to be moving in the hearts of men and women in Ephesus, to bring us closer to, deeper into, and more confidently knowing and living in Jesus Christ, living as sons and daughters of God, living as kingdom kids, And so the Word of God is living, it's active, and it is for us today, church. Hear and receive the Word of the Lord. Let's stand together as we read our passage. Ephesians chapter 1. We're going to read verses 18 and 19. It says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. So that you will know what is the hope of his calling. What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. What is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe. Church, this is the living word of God. Let's pray. Father, we praise you and thank you for this opportunity to know the truth. To be exposed to the truth to know the reality of your love and your salvation in Jesus Christ. And so we pray now, God, that that this prayer, this ancient prayer over Ephesus would be a prayer over us each individually in our hearts and over this church here at Reality Ventura. God, that you would enlighten the eyes of our heart, that you would open the eyes of our heart. Dependent on you, Holy Spirit. You're our teacher. You're the gifted one. We love you, Lord. Cause your word and truth to be alive in our hearts this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Please have a seat. Uh, this last week, um, I read one of the short stories that are, um, my teenage kids are reading for their schoolwork, and the name of the story is called The Mansion, and it's written by a guy named Henry Van Dyke. And uh, Mr. Van Dyke, he tells the story of a very well disciplined, a very principled, successful, and generous Christian man, uh, this man by the name of John Wegman. And Mr. Wegman gave generously to the local church, helping them create uh, this beautiful fire and steeple at the local church. He also gave generously to the local hospital. There's a, a new wing at the hospital that he pretty much funded and helped raise money for that, that bore his name, that they named it after him. He gave generously. He also ran his company successfully. He's very principled, very organized, had a lot of vision, and he helped other nonprofits even run successfully. His life, he would say a few times in this story, my life is an open book. And he was well-loved and trusted by friends and family and the church alike. And one night, Mr. Wegman falls asleep, and as he's sleeping, he has a dream that he's in heaven. And he's walking along, you know, on the streets of gold, and uh, there's a a guide, a heavenly guide, that's leading him down the road. And as they approach this huge mansion, the guide gives this mansion to someone who's walking as part of this group of people. And then they approach another mansion, and the guide gives this mansion to another one of the men that they're walking with. And so on they go, down the streets of gold. These men, newly entering heaven, are given their mansions by this guide. Eventually, everyone is gone. Everyone's in their their mansions. And John's like, hey, I I would really like to see my home. You know, I know this is a dream. I don't want to, like, bamboozle you or anything, but I'd love to see it. And the heavenly guy goes, sure. And they walk. They go, actually, to the outskirts of town. And they walk up on a shack. And he's like, here's your house right here. And when the last last man had received his mansion, this enormous mansion, Mr. Wegman had thought to himself, well, I've never even heard of that guy. Everyone in New York City knows who I am. And so you can imagine his shock as he walks up on this small mansion that he's been given. Thinking that he was mistaken, he questions the, the guide. He says, surely, sir, You must be in error about this. There's something wrong with the records. And the guide's like, no, your name's on the title. The house is built with the supplies that you gave. It's filled with the belongings that you have uh, placed up here in heaven. John Wegman responds, how could such a house be prepared for me? Is this house suitable for someone so devoted and so well-loved as me? And the guide responds, well, we built your home with the materials that you supplied, Wegman responds again, now I know that you're mistaken because all my life I have been doing great things for the kingdom of God. Things that must have supplied you with material. I've raised my children well. I helped build onto the hospital. I've helped build churches and schools in other countries. I've done good things. I've given lots of money to the church. The guide acknowledges all of these good things. He says, yeah, John, those are all good things, and the world has already credited you for them. They all count in the world where you were sure to have them counted. But here, these things do not belong to you. Only the hidden things, only the heart things are counted. John Wegman was was shocked and dismayed. And he asks, well, gosh, why then? Why am I even here? If I miss the mark so badly, why am I even here? And the guide simply answers, you are here by the mercy of the king. John's like, man, how have I even managed to earn his mercy? And the guide simply answers, it's mercy of the king is never earned. It is only ever given. Church, this is where our text finds us today. Our Father who has been longing for our heart. Our Father who has been wooing your heart and waiting for your heart. Our Father has wanted to satisfy our longings. Our Father has wanted to satisfy your desires and your hopes in your dreams. And some of us, instead of receiving His gift of love and approval, waking up in the morning and again receiving the free gift of mercy from God, instead of that, some of us are doing the good things on our own, like Mr. Wegman, trying to satisfy our longings, trying to satisfy our desires, trying to satisfy the approval that we long for, our hopes, our dreams, our reputation. And today the Apostle Paul in our passage in Ephesians 1 is praying for us to remember, church, that we would remember that we accepted a free gift from God, and some of us have perhaps barely touched it. The light that we were given as a free gift has been darkened by our attempt to earn it. Regardless of how good or bad we've been, Regardless of what good things we've done or not done or wish we had done, regardless of how good people think you are, how bad people think you are, every one of us only and and every time only find ourselves at the mercy of God. We're never not at the mercy of God, regardless of what great things you've done or what horrible things you've done. And at the mercy of God, in the mercy of God, we find That God is a good father who's done everything, that has invited us into a good relationship, who has given us everything. Nothing eternal is earned, only ever given. And we need to be enlightened to this truth again today, church. That's what the Apostle Paul was praying over the church in Ephesus. We need to see and remember and know who God is and who we are in Christ. Christian, today the Holy Spirit is leading us to pray for our hearts to be enlightened, illuminated. Uh, The New Living Translation uses the word uh, that pray that your hearts would be flooded with light. He specifically prays for the eyes of our heart. These heart eyes are somehow directly connected to us receiving and functioning in our identity as kingdom kids. The eyes of our heart allow us to see who we are in Christ, allowing us to know who we are. The eyes of our heart allow us to be and walk in who we are as God's kingdom kids. And so the Apostle Paul is praying for the church to have the eyes of their hearts opened or enlightened or flooded with light. Praying for Christians. And so what that means is there are Christians in the church whose heart eyes are closed. There are Christians whose hearts have become darkened. Uh, There are Christians who are disconnected, perhaps, with the promises of God. Or, Or maybe there are Christians who are living for false approval or false affirmation or have become insecure or have become frustrated or have become disappointed with themselves or with God or with their relationships in life. Or maybe insecure Christians who who are trying to behave better, trying to earn this gift that's been freely given. Or Christians who've become disconnected to their identity as God's kingdom kids. Maybe being deceived into thinking we're something else. Or maybe being tricked into becoming panicked as we see the world around us flooded with panic. And these, these disconnected Christians, our hearts need to be flooded with God's supernatural light. And Paul uses the word enlighten. It's a verb that he's using. It's an action word. Paul is praying for something to happen. Paul is praying for hearts to be affected by this action. And he's asking God to flood with light the hearts of Christians. Church, this is what the Holy Spirit is leading us to consider today. God wants to flood our hearts with light, exposing and dispelling darkness and doubt. God wants to light us back up, so to speak, and and maybe it's just areas of darkness, or maybe darkness has just fallen over you as you've become disconnected with your identity in Christ. God wants our hearts to see God in Jesus and see ourselves in Christ as kingdom kids. Today, God wants to expose lies or confusion that undermine our identity in Christ. Now, last week, we saw Paul pray for that Uh, epinosis, that Greek word, for us to truly know God and experience a relationship with God. This week, Paul continues to pray, and he's praying specifically for enlightenment, for these heart eyes to be lighted up. And then this light, or this enlightenment, is for the purpose of giving us a greater understanding. And set right here in chapter one, I think there there are kind of three reasons for Paul to be praying for enlightenment. This knowledge and enlightening, they help us in three ways. First of all, They help us in understanding what is true about us in Christ, what we see in the first 14 verses of Ephesians 1. Having our heart eyes open help us to remember and recall and see what is true about us in Christ. The second thing that having our heart eyes opened or enlightened will do is they'll help us in understanding the intimate relationship with God that we're invited into. We're not just uh, invited into, like, a one-time, write me a a salvation insurance policy, and then we go on on our merry way in life. No, we're invited into an intimate father-child relationship with the living God. Having our heart eyes illuminating in our hearts not only reminds us of what we were called to be, but it reminds us of the invitation to this relationship that God has called us to. The third thing is this enlightenment helps us understand the incredible hope that we have in Christ. We're going to get into that a lot more next week as we uh, look at the rest of this passage. So why is Paul praying this for Christians? Uh, he'd already prayed for epinosis, that they would deeply know God and have a relationship with God. Wouldn't that include enlightenment? Uh, is Paul being maybe dramatic here, uh, You know, kind of repeating himself for emphasis? Uh, I don't think so. I think today that we need to consider Paul's prayer for Christians who, although they may know Jesus, although they do know Jesus, because he's literally writing to Christians, their hearts have somehow become darkened. He's praying for light to push out darkness. We hear this, and we all immediately know, well, gosh, a dark heart is bad, right? Because dark is bad. Light and dark are universal symbols for good and bad. The Bible uses them all the way from the very beginning. God is good. God is light. Evil and Satan are bad, and they represent darkness. Because, however, we're born into sin, we're born into a sin nature, our hearts were initially darkened. We're born into darkness, and our natural inclination was to rebel against God and pursue our own desires. Now, that's a confusing life for us because God created us with a purpose, to know Him and to live in His presence. We're created by God to know and dwell with Him in light, in the light of His presence. Sin darkens our understanding of God. Sin darkens our understanding of creation. And sin darkens our understanding of God's intention for us to know him and dwell with him. And so created to live in the light, we're born into this dark and confused and confusing world. Uh, Paul describes this dark condition in grim detail in Romans 1. I'm just going to read a section of it because it really resonates as we read this and then look at our culture around us. A couple thousand years later, um, it still rings pretty true here, obviously, even in the, the wording that he uses. Romans 1, starting in verse 16, says that God's wrath is revealed from heaven against all godlessness and unrighteousness of people who by their unrighteousness they suppress the truth since what can be known about God is evident among them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, that is, his eternal power and his divine nature, they have been clearly seen since the creation of the world, being understood through what he has made. As a result, people are without excuse. For though they knew God, they did not glorify him as God or show gratitude. Instead, their thinking became worthless, and their senseless hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools, and they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man, birds, four-footed animals, and reptiles. Therefore, God delivered them over to the desires of their hearts, to sexual impurity, so that their bodies were degraded among themselves. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served what had been created rather than the Creator, Man, sin has brought about darkness and darkened hearts and a darkened understanding of God. It's a state of the world apart from Jesus. And Scripture contrasts this darkness with the light of Jesus, who is light. Jesus actually uses that title for himself several times. In John 8, verse 12, he says, I am the light of the world, Jesus said. Anyone who follows me will never walk in the darkness, but will have the light of light. John 12, 46, Jesus said, I have come as a light into the world so that everyone who believes in me would not remain in darkness. So you see this idea where there's this light that's put in us, and it's not just put in us, there's a lighted path, the path of light that leads to life, Jesus says, that we're invited to follow as we follow Jesus, as we epinosis God, as we know him and grow in our understanding and our relationship with him. So if we're in Christ, we're rescued from darkness. That's what Jesus has done for us. But Paul also describes a more nuanced relationship between light and dark in the life of the Christian. In 2 Corinthians 4, it says that for God, who said, let there be light in the darkness, he's made this light shine in our hearts so that we could know the glory of God that is seen in the face of Jesus Christ. We now have this light shining in our hearts, but we ourselves are like fragile clay jars containing this great treasure, this makes it clear that our great power is from God and not of ourselves, and we're pressed on every side by troubles, but we're not crushed. See, there's a, there's a, a conflict between the, the darkness that exists outside and the light that's inside. He said we're perplexed, but we're not driven to despair. See, the light is given to us at the time of salvation. We're illuminated from the inside, but there's a battle of dark and light that continues even after we're saved. And the battle between dark and light in the heart of a Christian is not a battle for salvation. It is a battle for identity. Christian, hear that today. The battle between light and dark in your heart is not a battle for salvation. It is a battle for identity. There's a war going on in your heart and in your mind. There's a force at work upon you that wants to convince you that you are not in Christ or that wants to convince you that God is not good or God is not real or the Bible is not real. And, and, and our whole culture w- wants to t- pick apart and work on truths and half-truths and three-quarter truths and tear down this identity. There's a war going on and it's not a war for our salvation. It's a war for our identity. Satan wants there to be a lot of John Wegmans entering heaven, confused. What's going on here? Didn't I earn a big house in heaven? God's like, man, I barely knew you. He said, come to me. This battle has two fronts in our life. Obviously, sin that we engage in is one of the fronts of this battle, but there's a, there's a battlefront that's way more mysterious, and that is the second battlefront is deception, the things that we fall for or the things that we believe or the things that maybe we don't believe but we make an allowance for in our life that make us unsure of what is true. We need God to invade our hearts with light to combat sin and deception that darkens our hearts and confuses our minds. And this struggle continues throughout the life of the Christian. We have to be aware of it. We have to confront it. And we have to offer our hearts to God to be enlightened. Jesus offers a light, but he also offers a lighted path. In John chapter 8, verse 1, he says, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, Okay, so I am the light of the world. That light is put in you. It says elsewhere in Ephesians that that he will make his home in your heart, that that God is actually with us. There's light in you, but it's not a one-time lightning. He says, I am the light of the world, and if you follow me, that's a verb, that's an action word. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. Following Jesus means that we walk in the light that leads to life to life. And what can happen is that our understanding can become darkened as we allow for sin in our life. And it also becomes darkened as we become deceived about who we are in Christ. But as Christians, when the darkness of sin and deception move in, we don't lose our position as children of God, but we do become blinded to our identity. We lose track of who we are in Christ. Often it's as simple as believing a lie rather than the truth. Sometimes it's inviting sin into our heart. Sin initially darkened our understanding, and even now as Christians, it can still have a similar effect if we let it in, if we make a room at the table of our heart for it. Yes, we're no longer under the authority of sin. We're not ruled by sin, and we're also no longer under the penalty of sin. Jesus has paid the penalty for our sin. But when we allow for sin in our life, we still experience somewhat of a darkness in our heart. This is why Paul prays for the Christians in Ephesus, to have their hearts flooded with light. This is why we need prayer today, for God to flood our hearts with light, because sometimes we allow in sin and darkness. Sometimes we we, we intentionally choose things, things that we want, things that we long for, things that other people think we ought to be or ought to have, things that we desire for ourselves that aren't the Lord's will. We we all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And many of us find ourselves still sinning. And when we make a place at the table of of our heart, it invites in a real power. There's real power in the darkness. And it's a power to confuse. In Christ, we are no longer under sin's power. But maybe we've been engaging in its play. And the allowance for sin in us, it affects us, it confuses us, because there's no home for it. There's no right place at the table for it. And so when we don't confess our sins, when we don't acknowledge that we've been believing lies, when we're not in the word of truth, when we're not comparing what we hear and what we see and what we believe and what we feel with what God says is true and what God says is true for us and what God says is true and powerful but be for us, it creates tension. It creates confusion. And this allowance for sin and confusion is ultimately an allowance for For darkness. And as a Christian, sin doesn't change who I am, but it does affect the way that I see God, and it affects the way that I see myself. Sin is confusing to us in our new identity in Christ when we give it permission to be in us. Because when Jesus saved us from darkness, we were made a new creation. Paul tells us that in 2 Corinthians 5. He says, therefore, anyone who's in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away, Right? pastor that's like old people speak for died the old died death the old is is dead see there's something new in its place you're a new creation in christ we are new that's who we are even though we don't always act like a saint we're new creations we have new life god has chosen us in christ to be he's chosen us in christ to live as a new creation and allowing false or bad or wrong things and ideas and deceptions and sin into our heart and into our lives, it can and it will cause us to fall into old ways of thinking, old dead ways of thinking about ourselves and old dead ways of measuring up other people and thinking about others. When we entertain false ideas and false identities, we can become blind to our true identities in Christ. When we give darkness deception or sin when we give darkness a place at the table when we give darkness a voice we forget or we grow blind to the fact that god is our father or we grow blind to the fact that he's a good father first corinthians chapter 15 i, I love this verse because i i don't need things to be subtle i need them to be direct and paul is very direct in 1 corinthians 15 he says do not be deceived." bad company corrupts good morals. And then he says, come to your senses. I love that. I can just picture just, you know, like in an old movie. Just like, come to your senses. He's saying, you've been given a new identity. You've been given a new mind, a new spirit. You've been given new desires. You've been given a new purpose. Stop believing lies. That's not who you are. You're only hearing lies because you're listening to liars, he's saying. You're only experiencing darkness because you've allowed darkness a place in your heart. You've, you've allowed there to be a seat at the table of your heart for darkness. And Paul's saying, stop. That's not who you are. Darkness is not an authority in your life. And then this is kind of a I'll give you a little bit of a spoiler alert, but it's going to be like probably two years till we're here. But in Ephesians 5, in verse 6, just listen to these words. Paul says, let no one deceive you with empty arguments, for God's wrath is coming on the disobedient because of these things. Therefore, do not become their partners, for you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Therefore, live as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists of all goodness, righteousness, and truth, testing what is pleasing to the Lord verse 11 he says don't participate in the fruitless works of darkness but instead expose them for it is shameful to mention what is done by them in secret everything exposed by the light is made visible for what makes everything visible is light therefore it is said and this i believe is a a prophetic word for our church today from god verse 14 of ephesians 5 he says get up sleeper and rise from the dead Get up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Christian, God is saying, pray, pray for one another, pray for the light to, to open the eyes of your heart, to wake up and arise from the dead, and let Christ shine on us today. In verse 15, Paul continues, he says, pay careful attention then to how you live. He's said, be, be attentive to how you lived. Not as unwise people, but as wise, making the most of the time, because the days are evil. So don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. I just, I just see the Lord leading us into this prayer. We need God to flood our hearts once again to expose deception, to expose the false things, the lies the false patterns of thinking that we've fallen into. We need the eyes of our heart to be open to expose places where we believe and trust the lies of culture. We need the eyes of our hearts to be enlightened to see Jesus and rediscover and reestablish our identity in him. And so Paul is praying for the church that the flames of gospel identity would be stoked into a full roaring fire. And Paul is praying for the hearts of Christians to be enlightened, to be flooded, It means that our identity and our enlightenment requires God to do the work. God does the work. Paul's not saying try harder. Paul's saying you've already been made a new creation. Now walk in it. Follow Jesus in it. We need to be rescued from darkness, and only God can rescue us not a matter of us trying harder. It's a matter of us receiving and resting and relying on God's mercy and God's grace. I love that uh, how Chad in announcements shared before the prayer that the Word of God tells us to be still and know that God is God. It's when we're still and we know that God is God. Those of you that were worried about your lawn, God is God, Right? <laughs> Identity and this enlightenment. It also requires us following Jesus, following Jesus into what God has begun, and that's why. Oh, that's like you do it, Lord. Yeah. That's so cool. That we follow God into what He's already begun, and and that's why last week's message was so powerful. this this invitation to know God, to relationally know God, to relationally follow God, that when our hearts are enlightened and we're aware of this relationship that God has called us into, we now start to form our identity, which affects our thoughts, which affects our decisions, which affects our goals, which affects what we listen to. It affects what we watch. It affects how we think. It affects how we raise our kids. It affects where we go. And we start to follow God, our Father, who loves us and has given us every spiritual blessing, including intimacy with himself. And we start to go out with him. And it's like my son Shem, right? This big, cutest thing in the world. He will follow me out into a dangerous street if I were to run out there. He's not thinking with his head. He's thinking with his heart. He's like, I want to be where my dad is. And that's how God is saying, follow me. Know me. Know me. This isn't something we do with our brain. This is something we do with our heart. This is something that the eyes of our heart need to be enlightened for so that we see the beauty and the joy and the life and the power and the riches and the eternity that we have in our relationship and our call to Christ as a kingdom kid. And darkness starts to descend on our hearts when we believe false things about ourselves or when we even make an allowance for false things. You might not believe all the false things, but if you're not shutting the door to them and saying those are false, and you're standing on Scripture, the Word of God, the only truth that we have, then you leave that door open, then things start to get cloudy. There's allowance for darkness in our hearts. Things get confusing, and this darkness obscures the truth of the Gospel. It obscures our identity in Christ, and it causes us to second-guess who we are we second-guess our value. We second-guess the fact that that Jesus' work was a finished work, and we might live in shame or fear or anxiety. We don't see who we are. We don't see that we're children of the King. This is why Paul prays in our verse. He says that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. Why? So that you will know what is the hope of His calling, the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe. Church, that we're going to look at that next week, but there is so much that God needs to show us and remind us of, and this is a daily walk with the Lord. Because when darkness is given a place in our heart, it can spread confusion, and it spreads confusion about our hope in this riches and the power that we have in Christ that Paul's praying for them. Today, maybe darkness has crept in, Maybe you're wrestling with or should be wrestling with. Maybe you're not even wrestling with it yet. You're just kind of feeling defeated. But you need to confront confusion in your heart. Some of us might be confused about our hope. And so we're living with a sense of hopelessness. Some of us are believing lies about God and who we are in Christ. And it's, we're living in confusion maybe. Others maybe were confused about the power of Christ toward us who believe, and so we live in fear or anxiety, or some of us have become confused about who we are, and we need to be enlightened and enlivened by God. You're living a a dead Christian life. Or it could be that you're living in darkness because you've never invited light in, in the first place. You've never said yes to the light of the world. You've not received the free gift of salvation You've not yet put your faith in Jesus. You've not yet been brought into the light. Listen, we've all got issues. We all need help. Some of us need our hearts enlightened for salvation. Others of us here as Christians, we need our hearts enlightened to remember who we are in Christ. Because darkness descends, sometimes like spiritual cobwebs on our heart. Sometimes those cobwebs are like intellect, and pride, self-preservation, or even fear. And they, they kind of just form around the heart and they cloud. They make things uncertain, not as clear as they used to be. And just like the janitor comes in here every Sunday night and every Friday night and he turns on all these lights and he goes at the corners and he cleans up all the little presents that you guys leave them all over the place. God is, the Apostle Paul is saying that God wants to turn on the lights of our heart and to do that work to get the cobwebs out, to knock us off our high horses of our intellect, the high horse of, of culture. We need to be flooded with light to clear out spiritual cobwebs. Darkness can also fall like a spiritual veil goes blinding us, a veil that conceals and isolates us and separates us from the Father. We need the Lord to lift this veil and enlighten us to remember the beauty of our Father. Darkness can harden on our heart or over our heart like, like a concrete bunker And it prevents truth and identity and the reality of who we are in Christ. It it prevents truth bombs from entering into our heart. It also prevents worship from exiting our heart. It prevents a a spirit of thanksgiving from returning to the Lord. It it destroys our supernatural relationship with God. It makes us dead. There's concrete, there's hardness that can form in our heart. We need the light to shatter the concrete and break it up. We need hardened hearts to soften. We need to be rescued from this. We need enlightenment, our hearts to be flooded with the light of truth. Rescue comes only from God. Enlightenment comes only from God. It's not about sitting out in the desert and and sitting in some weird way with your hands in a weird way thinking about a spot on your head or any of that nonsense. That's not what enlightenment we're talking about. We're talking about the truth of who you are in Christ. The reality that God created all things and God is bringing you near to himself. Why? Because he has made a sacrifice and has paid a price and has made it possible. Why? Because he loves you. The truth is that God loves you. And God is on a mission to bring you near and to bring you in and to pull you up on his lap and say, I love you. You are fully accepted, fully approved, fully approved, Your house isn't full of stuff. Your heart's not full of stuff because you've done good things. Your house and your heart is full of stuff, spiritually speaking, because I have given you everything you need. Every spiritual blessing is yours in Christ. We need to be enlightened to see this day. And so today we pray for God to enlighten our hearts and flood us with light. This isn't some poorly grounded flickering light like in some, you know, creepy movie or something. It's not some dim light that leaves shadows or, or dark pockets. We need to be flooded with light. Like ridiculous amounts of light just flooding and searing and exposing and pushing out all darkness. Flooded with light so we can walk in truth. So we can be filled with joy. So we can live and walk confidently in our identity in Christ. This light leads us not just flooded with light, it leaves us flooded with hope and flooded with joy. We're flooded with worship. We're flooded with praise and thanksgiving for God. We become children of God, kingdom kids on a relational level. Listen, today you need to hear that you are a well-loved child of God. Jump into the arms of your father you thank Him and praise Him and dwell on what is true about you. I'm going to invite the um, worship musicians to come up now. And there are two kind of two main areas I've really felt the Holy Spirit's been leading us as a church uh, to respond to in light of this passage today. God wants us to stand up into our identity in Christ. To stand up and walk. He wants us to know and be who we are. So he wants us to stand up and walk. That's the first thing. And by stand up, I mean to get up and stand into our identity as a son or a daughter. God has richly loved and blessed us. And today he's saying, stand up into my love. I've given you real strength. I've given you real hope. I've given you real identity. And God is saying, stand up into that. Take your place at the table, the intimate place that's reserved for family. Stand up and walk walk as a child of God, following Jesus, that light that leads to life, that path that's illuminated for us, that's where we find joy in the presence of Jesus. It's where we find hope is in the presence of Jesus. We find victory in our new life as we obey Jesus and walk in the light. And that means that we need to meditate and marinate and and give ourselves to the study and ingestion of the Word of God. There's no Christian walk without a steady intake and study of God's Word. Christian, dust off the Bible. This thing needs to be with us day and night. This is truth. You want to get rid of the cobwebs. This thing knocks them all down. Know what is true Remember what is true. Be reminded of what is true. Meditate on what is true. You don't meditate on nothing. You meditate on the Word of God and the, and the truth about who God is and who we are in Christ. Stand up and walk. The second thing that God is calling us to today is before we can stand up and walk, we need to get down and pray. We need to, to be low, bring ourselves low, waiting patiently for the Lord sitting in, waiting for, inviting the presence of God. Today, I think God is calling us to cry out to Him for deliverance. Allow the Holy Spirit to minister the love of the Father, the nearness of the Father. Intercessors in here today, man, we need to be praying for people who are stuck in darkness, for Christians who are confused about who they are in Christ, Christians that have made an allowance for falsehoods and false identities in their life that the Holy Spirit would break those down by enlightening our hearts. And all of us, as we wait for the Lord in a still, quiet, low place, we worship God for who he is and what he's done. That's what we see the Apostle Paul setting the example for us in Ephesians. He starts off by reminding the church of everything God has done for us. We find ourselves caught up in that story because God loves us and has invited us in. But notice that Paul hasn't said one thing that we need to do. He said that is who you are in Christ. And then we need to rehearse the gospel and praise God for all he's done for us. Worshiping our Father for his holiness and love and forgiveness and patience for us. Church, today as we respond, I want to invite you to get down, to, to bring yourself low. To bring yourself out of the places of of darkness, whether there are high places in your mind that you feel like you've put yourself in. Maybe thinking that you're more important than you are in light of who God is. Maybe you don't think you're important at all. You've forgotten completely who you are. Uh, You know, depending on the hour, I swing between the two. Either way, we need to get on our face before God and allow God to minister his glory, the tangible weightiness of the presence of God, to minister his love and the truth about who you are as a well-loved child. We have carpets up here in the front, and I just want to call you out of your chair this morning, call you out into a response. Now, we wouldn't just fall into a form of Christianity that's like church, you know, church religion. Britt used to call it churchianity in carp in the old days. We don't want to live like that. We we don't want to fall into some weird church religion. What we want to fall into is a deep love and understanding and knowledge of God. And we want to fall into his arms as his children. And so I invite you to come up and posture yourself on your knees in submission to the living God. And we'll pray words that King David declared were true. David found himself on his knees. He said, I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me, means he came down to my level and he heard my cry. The Lord brought me up out of the pit. Yes, out of the miry clay. And he set my feet upon a rock, making my footsteps firm. And he put a new song in my mouth, in my heart, a song of praise to our God. And now many will see and fear and many will know and will trust in the Lord. Father, we come to you this morning Asking you, God, to give us a spirit of waiting on you. Give us a patient spirit of waiting on you to move, God. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you would enlighten, that you would flood with light the eyes of our hearts, that we would see, God, in his glory, that we would see our Father in all of his love and all of his holiness and all of his preciousness. Pray, God, that you would deal with our doubts and fears and insecurities as the light pushes the darkness out. We love you, Lord. We're here for you. Your presence is all we ask for. It's all we need, Lord.